This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. All too often, we believe that having a natural talent for one thing means that all our skills are polarised and we can't be good at anything else. We believe that if we're good at maths, it means we can't be creative. Or if we're more creative, we can't be good at business. Today's guest is here to shake up our world and remove us from the boxes we've placed ourselves in. I'm thrilled to welcome Nina Fulhaber to the show today. After discovering a talent for maths at an early age, Nina believed she was destined to climb the financial ranks. So she did. From working at Goldman Sachs to becoming an early stage startup investor, Nina thought she had found her home in money and numbers. But after listening to pitch after pitch from entrepreneurs, she suddenly felt an itch to create something of her own. After all, Surely she could be creative too. Taking a chance on her creativity, Nina co-founded A Day, a direct-to-consumer brand creating a capsule wardrobe of consciously designed versatile essentials. I'm so excited to talk to Nina today about why we shouldn't pigeonhole ourselves into one box, why we should have the curiosity to figure out what else we're good at, and the golden rules on dealing with conflict. For those of you who haven't yet, Make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these game-changing millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the brilliant Nina Fulhaber. Nina. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, you know, you and I connected recently over LinkedIn. However, we kind of talked about this before we went on air, but I knew about a day and you and your co-founder, Meg, back in 2017 when I came to New York for the first time. And you guys were some of the people who I really wanted to interview. I loved what you were doing with a day. You know, Meg and I were in chats, but we didn't end up, you know, having that conversation. So I'm so excited and I really appreciate you being here today. I'm so excited that you have a little bit more background and that if you're not... The exciting thing between back then and now is now we're actually live in Australia. We shipped to Australia. So it's actually a much better time to chat now. (laughs) I love that. It's so great. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and, and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Sure. I'm Nina, one of the two co-founders of A-Day. And um, my other co-founder, Meg, who you just mentioned, and I co-founded this brand with really a vision to create a better wardrobe. And, um, well, to summarize kind of what our mission is, is, is to create a wardrobe of fewer pieces you can do more in. Um, and by doing that, in a way, simplifying our customer's life and then also creating a more simplified um, wardrobe so you can shop less and own less and do more with the fewer things you own. And um, I mean, I can go back long, long in history here on how we kind of came up with that, but it was in a nutshell, it was just like a very passion driven and like needs driven thing that we wanted. We found um, we were working corporate jobs and then in technology and venture capital and we wanted a better wardrobe for ourselves, frankly, at the time. We were traveling, working women in London and San Francisco and um, over time have created this brand that is now standing for so much more than ourselves and much more way of better, a way to consume better. I love that. I love the mission of a day and I want to dive more into it a little bit later. But to start off with, I want to ask a question that I often find to be very insightful and revealing and that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? So I grew up in um, Frankfurt, well, I say in Frankfurt, but it's actually a town outside Frankfurt in Germany. Um, grew up, my dad is an engineer, my mom a lawyer both Germans. Um, my dad actually um, was born in the war in Germany, um, in Berlin, and my mom sort of family come from Frankfurt and and, um, and Munich. And my whole family had always been in finance, entrepreneurship. My grandfather was an um, ins insurance actuarian um, running a big company, a big insurance in, in Germany. And my other grandfather was an entrepreneur. So, um, yeah, I grew up to in like a pretty, I guess, like normal um, household little brother. And my parents were never really kind of pushed me into many directions. They always let me do whatever I wanted to do. I, li I, really, I really liked school. I liked sports. I played, I was a gymnast growing up um, and I liked school as well and was kind of good at it, was good in math and sort of went down that path of like um, pursuing and going after um, the things I was good at, which is math and like calculating and then studied finance. Um, yeah, and I guess the other part to growing up and how it's impacted me and how it's kind of come together now is um, the athlete side and the sports side. So um, I, at, when I was two or three, my parents put me on skis and then they sent me to gym class and without forcing me to do certain things, they, I really liked it and I became really good at it and I competed in gymnastics growing up. And I think that's really shaped me because I was at the time six or seven or eight years old, really tiny, um, competing on state, state level, winning on state level and having at the time already um, having to work, um, or like I was pretty self-motivated to work really hard and achieve those things and I had fun doing it. And um, I think it chipped me a lot around like how I, how hard I work and how I like go after the things I, I want and believe in. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think that that heart, that work ethic, that, that idea of kind of looking at what you want and going after it is so just kind of so relevant to what we talk about on the show. And I want to I want to get your advice on this. So for our peers out there listening who, you know, maybe they have a goal or maybe they want to be a gymnast or they want to start a company, but they're a bit unsure, you know, maybe they have the drive, but they're a bit unsure. What, 
advice would you give to them around going after what you want? Yeah. Um, I think when I think back at like kind of where I'm at now and I still have so many steps to take, obviously, and so many things to do and I want that I want to do. Um, I think like when I think about, for example, my gymnast childhood and kind of where I've landed now and at the time I did I competed but then I um, gave it up at some point in pursuit of the more like academics and like being good in school and not training as much and I often then as like a early, in my early 20s asked myself like what if I had stick to stuck to gymnastics you know would I have been like in the Olympics and like would I have done this and that and the answer now to me is actually if I would have stuck to that I would have probably come now to the same place I would have probably started a company as well um, use, utilizing technical fabrics and creating versatile pieces and, and a brand and like what I really believe in so the conclusion I've kind of drawn from that is that the micro choices you make don't matter so much and what matters and like how I've made those choices and how I will making my choices is I'm just going with what feels right and um, not thinking so much not overthinking too much about okay what, what do I want to have what where do I want to be in 10 years but rather going doing these micro steps and going at going after what feels right and then you'll automatically get to that point in 10 years time and um, yeah I'm kind of trying to stick to that such great advice. I love this. Okay, so let's dive a little bit into post your gymnastic day. So, you know, you're a gymnast through high school, child, all of that. And then you got into the more the academics. And when you graduate, oh no, you headed straight into university. You studied at the European Business School. Um, I think it was a business in administration in law, finance, and entrepreneurship. So the three things that you said your family was kind of kind into. Of too, yeah. Yes. What do you think was one of the main takeaways during the, that time? Um, what really shaped me during high school and that time was actually um, probably mostly my time abroad. Because in high school, um, when I was 15, went to Sijep in Montreal um, for a high school abroad exchange year thing. And it just like accelerated. How old is it? 16 maybe. It accelerated my, um, you know, I, I'm not sure my growth, but like it definitely ex- accelerated my experiences and like my thinking around like what's actual possible. And I feel probably like it expanded my horizon so much. And it obviously gave me that huge, huge itch around um, looking beyond borders and places and, 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 and um, yeah, just kind of seeing the world my oyster. Um, and then university, I went for exchange to Singapore and similarly in Singapore I made amazing amazing friends traveled a bunch um you know some academic some academics <laughs> but my, largely it shaped me in a way that I saw another place of the world in like a really intimate way and saw all these amazing emerging places in Asia and like how different people different cultures lived in 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 in, in, in really interesting ways and it um just inspired me and like at that point I think it was clear that um my home is anywhere where I want my home to be. I love that. And I I so personally resonate with you on that because at, at 16 also I, I went overseas. And yeah. I, I went to China actually and my parents were like, you know, go spend a month there and you can learn the language and all of that. And when you're thrown into these different cultures, I think at such a young, at young age, it beca- it de- it's so defining, you know, it becomes like a part of you almost, mm. like understanding these different cultures, knowing that, you know, you, you, the world doesn't just live in one way, like how we live in Australia or how you lived in Germany, you know. And so I think that I think that's it's so powerful that you were able to have those experiences. 
Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your decision after university and after the after seeing the world a little bit. You know, what where did your decision to go into banking come from and what was that time like for you? Mm-hmm. Um, I was good at math and um, being good at math meant being good in finance and in university and being good in finance in a university where you I, and I was interested as a teenager. I was actually interested. One of my first, um, one of my first presentations to a class was uh, around um, telling people what the hedge fund is, because <laughs> at the time no one knew what a hedge fund was, especially not in Germany. And I was kind of nerdily interested. I don't really know why, but I think it was probably a combination of being good in math, wanting to keep up with the boys, <laughs> and like doing something that felt like quite like tomboyish. And then. Um, in finance, studying finance, I took a bunch of internships and like I went for those that felt like they were the coolest and the, the, I found them genuinely interesting. So I, I um, interned at Credit Suisse and the hedge fund team in like my first year and then started at Goldman and got the offer from Goldman and a bunch of other um, investment banks and that felt really great. And I was interested in what the Excel sheets would say. So I kind of went with it. Um, and I think what I, the, uh, the other thing to mention is, and I think about this now a lot too, is that um, by when you, as a child, you're, I feel like you're, by being good at something and then maybe also good at something else, but the thing you're really good at, people kind of put you into this like bucket, bucket into this um um, pigeonhole almost, and you're kind of going down that route, and you you see the world. I started to seeing seeing the world in a binary way, and I was like, I'm good at math means I'm not creative. <laughs> so I went down the math like that route, um, definitely telling myself I'm not creative. Um, so I believed I'm not creative at all, and I that took a long time between there and now, where I'm trying to, and I'm definitely leaning into a lot of the creative things um, to kind of get around that. But yeah. On that note, I think trusting oneself to do um, that, just being good at something doesn't mean you're bad at the other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just doing what feels right. Mm. I love how you always come back to doing what feels right. And <laughs> I think that so many of us struggle with, you know, okay, I'm good at that thing. I'm not really good at something else. I mean, for me, it was quite the opposite. I was really good at languages and foreign languages. So you actually learned Mandarin in that I, month I that you were there. That's I studied. Impressive. That's very impressive. No, I, I, I six months I... in Montreal, no, not a word of French. I mean, like. <laughs> I love that. No, I, oh, well, I actually, you know, I actually studied it at, at high school. That's so for, when I was 13 um, through, um, it's quite a little bit more common in Australia. Well? You're on WeChat? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm on WeChat. I love that. Yes, so great. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, coming back to that, that idea of like you know being good at one thing, and for me it was languages, and I did French and Chinese, and I was good at English, and I was I really thought I was quite bad at maths. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't even think I was that bad, but I just in my head I was like, I can't do numbers, I can't do it, I can only do the literature kind of stuff, and. I think similar to you, it kind of messes a little bit with your head when you think, okay, I'm only good at that, I'm not good at this. You know, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who are tackling with this idea of I'm only good at this thing, I'm not good at that? Like what advice would you give to them? Um, I, I I mean, sorry to go back again to what feels right, but, it, but less so what feels right also when you think you're good at something and not good at something, 
also in parallel ask yourself the question what is it that you actually want to do mm. if you think you're not good and creative and you actually also don't want to be creative then you're good but if you're you think you're not good and creative but you really want to try it and you would really love to be a creative then go for it and learn it and as an example my, my co-founder Meg she um she and I both somewhat runners and have always been running and I was always like I'm I grew up as a gym as a athlete and was always kind of athletically inclined and always quite fast etc and she has I think probably not trusted herself because she never as a child like worked out and then in California when she was at Stanford people took her on hikes and yoga and all of that and um, she has leaned back then already but also recently so into running thinking she was the worst runner in the world and is now literally like fastest and there's a new rank on Instagram every day around her <laughs> new running pace but she is just like going through the roof and she's showing me so much how that if you really want to do that just do it I think like the human mind the human body like it's all very trainable and um, there is a mastery um, that if you really want something you can probably master it there's, there's some you know books and stuff on that right 10,000 um, but yeah mm. I could not agree more. And if you don't want to do something, then don't do it. You know, if you don't want to do something and you're not good at it, then don't do it. So Instagram is an example. A lot of entrepreneurs are like, oh, am I supposed to be on Instagram if I'm an entrepreneur? And then the, I, to me, the answer is like, if you think, if you like it, <laughs> be on it. If you don't like it, don't do it. Mm. I love it. It's almost like just black and white. It's just, you know, if you want to do it, do it. If you don't, don't, you know. And I love that kind of assertiveness about you. Um, great. So, I mean, I want to dive into this idea of a day and how you kind of dove into that knowing and how you made that transition from I'm just into math, so I'm really good at finance, to I can be creative. Yeah. Um, yeah, at the time I was in London and Meg was in San Francisco and um, I was working at a venture capital fund, which was, um, and Meg had also gone down a similar route. She'd interned at a venture capital fund and then went to Stanford and then worked at Poshmark, which is a peer-to-peer um, -peer fashion tech marketplace. Um, um, and both of us had sort of done this transition from like, finance to like something that's like finance-y and numbers-y, but like in the tech and future worlds, I'd say. And uh, my role at Index was I was investing in seed and Series A companies with a partner who was like awesome, awesome mentor and teacher. And I was on a lot of, um, lots of meetings with entrepreneurs and then new, looking at new companies as well as like um, being on boards and observing on boards and working with entrepreneurs and sort of their businesses. Um, and um, I really enjoyed like thinking about the future and this whole idea of like, okay, we need to invest and like we want to invest. We put our money where the future is essentially and making these theses. Um, but I found myself in the meetings oftentimes, especially in board meetings. And I was like 24 year old, um, 25 year old um, girl. And uh, I was sitting in board meetings and would find myself like giving, having to give advice, but like actually having the itch of, I would just rather build it myself. <laughs> and um, feeling quite like strongly this urge to be, instead of just thinking about the future, in some way starting to, in some way co creating parts of it. And um, 
Well, it's that, yeah, that it just kind of started coming up. And uh, um, Meg had been in California at the time and as I said, she she'd um, tried on for the first time the technical wardrobe, uh, like Lululemon yoga pants when she um, when people forced her to work <laughs> out. And um, I had in London um, started kind of as a woman, as a young woman there hoarding a lot of stuff into my wardrobes. And my wardrobe started growing and growing and growing, but I had nothing that I actually really wanted to wear. All I wanted to wear was I wanted to be as comfortable as my athlete child and where my wardrobe was felt really simple. And we both started talking about this. We actually started looking for businesses that would do something like that, um, that would essentially combine our technical wardrobes, our technical technical fabrics we, we knew and felt, liked to feel, but combine them with uh, everyday shapes of our um, favorite staple pieces we wanted to wear all the time. And um, we then couldn't find it. And because we couldn't find it, we created a Pinterest boards, which we started adding to. And that was like our mini creative step, I would say at the <laughs> time. I mean, but it was our creative step around like, okay, so maybe there is like a vision of something we have that doesn't exist yet. So how can we like kind of identify what this gap is and what we want? And so, and then as part of that, I took a, a part of that process, I took a sportswear design course in Central St. Martins in London. That was literally a two day course. So it was not, <laughs> it didn't actually teach me that much, but it did force Meg and me to sit down and be like, okay, so how would that look like if we had this idea, this idea of a wardrobe of the future, um, um, a fewer items that could do more, how would that look like? Um, those were our first steps. And then I think from, because we didn't want, we did, we, we thought of ourselves as more like the numbers people, business people, our first few people we teamed up with were people with creative education. Cause I think, I do still think there's a very strong difference or there's a, there's a difference between being creative and tapping into creative, but and also having a very strong creative um, school. So, you know, our designer back then, it was a freelance designer and our brand director who we hired and our production manager who we hired and then our first full-time designer, they all went, they all went through design school, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, like having a de- the creative design um, education allows you to, I think, tap into even more in different parts of the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's just like a really beautiful collaboration between these are amazing, amazing team members and, and us and tapping into the creative and the non-creative side. Mm. It's so cool to hear kind of your story and, and how, it, how it started. You know, I think those of us who are, you know, who are listening in and potentially we have these ideas and we think, oh, you know, maybe we have this itch, like the one that you had, and we think we kind of want to do something. Um, But often what happens, unfortunately, is that we don't actually follow through with that, you know, and we don't actually turn those ideas into reality like yourself and Meg have done. Oh, like you have done. (laughs) Starting a podcast. (laughs) So kind. Um, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who are struggling to find, I guess, that that commitment to their idea and what they want to build? What advice would you give? Um, I think the um, key is to really deeply listen to yourself. Um, I have a meditation practice that I'm tapping into, should be tapping into more, but mm-hmm. theoretically 
I would want to be meditating every day. I practice it's currently not every day, but I think meditation has been a really, really wonderful way of tapping into myself and actually understanding what I want. I think that um, connecting with your body, and I was talking earlier about um, feeling, doing what feels right. I think the feelings are, they're oftentimes not understood with the brain. They're understood with the body. So you just have to sit with things and you have to see how they feel. And oftentimes if one has a business idea and it just like doesn't fully feel like the market is big enough or like like one has the capabilities to actually do it and there's like a big nervousness that you'll probably feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you feel very sure about it, there's like a huge market, I'm like ready for it, I'm 26, I'm okay, nothing to lose, et cetera, et cetera. That feels like a very strong feeling of then going for it. And I think, I think it's important to listen to either. And if it doesn't fully feel right, then it may not be the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I think it's so cool that you've been able to kind of feel your way through, you know, have this intuition, you make your decision based on intuition and and kind of navigate it that way. And then it's also um, to identify whether you're someone who like needs to talk things through, mm. write things. You know, some people are more the journaler and you need to just like journal a bunch of pages and then figure out whether it's the right thing. And others, and I'm part of that, I need to I need to talk through, I need to talk through with friends and um, and need to talk through a bunch of scenarios and just like, have them as a sounding board. Mm. How has your relationship with Meg helped you form what you've done today? I mean, we are, it's beyond. Mm. Our our bond and our relationship, as I would say, it's like, it's more than a marriage. Because in a marriage, you essentially, like, you spend, you know, you spend half a day, but you like asleep most of the time. <laughs> and in a co-founder relationship, you spend every single awake minute of the day together. And we have, it's been, I mean, we're co-founders and co-CEOs and we have done a ton of work, mm-hmm. um, 100%. There have been, you know, highs and lows and moments and this and that. And we are on such a strong level around um, what's I, I, very strong with us is we are very, very aligned around the long term. Mm-hmm. So like we have a very strongly aligned vision for the team, the brand, the company, investors, like all of that stuff, life, you know, all of those things. And then we have a really healthy um, dialogue and like the way we kind of wear different hats in the like short and medium term. So we can be amazing, amazing sounding boards and bounce partners. And then, and this is the the part that a relationships and government relationships and any relationship probably needs work on is we have tools to work through any kind of short-term conflicts, right? Like there's always a conflict. There, there are conflict situations where someone gets upset about something and um, we have a way to, to deal with it. Wow. That's amazing. Having a way to do. Can you give us some more insight into how you deal with conflict? With yeah. So uh, it's something we used to do a lot is that we Slack is our main communication medium. Um, we love Slack. Slack, we love you. But we, um, you get into a habit in the direct chats in Slack of just being like really immediate and kind of like brain dumping, like what's going on. And um, um, we, for Meg and my conversation, as soon as something is like a little bit we disagree on something, we need to get off Slack. Because if we're on Slack, um, we can't see each other and we can't feel out and we can't hear what actually the intent is. Um, and we that is not good. Because oftentimes one would one would um, interpret and would 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 second guess an intent that's actually not true that 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 actually wasn't an intent. So um, talking on things live and on the phone is key key key. Mm. I, I think that's so fascinating. I think that's so just pivotal for any relationship, you know, as you said, especially with one that's so important and that and that you 
that's so, you know, it's your every single day, you know, and I think that so many of us hide behind our computers our screens, our iPhones, whatever it is, computers, and we often forget to have those live conversations. Um, but I think they could be so valuable, like you just said. So look, Meg, uh, uh, almost called you Meg. Yeah. So look, same, Meg. Same, same, yeah. same, same. She would be saying the same She'll thing. She would be like. <laughs> Nina. With a much more charming British accent. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> Nina, talk to us a little bit about the early challenges you faced or the challenges you faced building a day. Mm-hmm. Um. We were at the time um, based in London, mm-hmm. and um, early on, and part of what stuff the stuff I was saying earlier around um, living in Singapore and in Montreal, and then Meg was actually born in China, in Beijing, and lived in the UK and then in California. We had a global perspective for this, and immediately didn't want to launch the UK market first and then come to the US. So wanted to launch both markets and. Um, our first challenge was when we launched, um, we actually realized we should, we have to, we probably have to be in New York to do that. So um, we packed our bags, um, entire team at the time, it was five or so of, of us, um, packed our bags and came over. And um, kudos to everyone in the EDA team to leave their husbands and boyfriends and puppies and, set and cats um, behind for a year and a half um, and come over to New York to, to build this together. That was, um, I think, one of the big um, challenges for some people in the team, especially. Um, Meg and I actually didn't, like, we're we're here, we love it. We spend a lot of time in London, New York. We're very, I think the people in the team who had, we have a few people in the team, our head designer and brand director, they had their relationships in London. And so they... um, definitely did a big commitment for us. And they're based on, they're back in London now, so we have an office. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, but it was, again, like going after kind of what you think is right and feels right and, mm. and we think it was absolutely the right decision. Mm. Um, another challenge was finding our first factory because we did not have any background mm. in fashion, clearly. Um, so we didn't actually really know where people, like who m- would make clothing for us. And we at the time even thought like machines make it. <laughs> And um, it took us a lot, like it took us a bunch of asking around um, for recommendations. And then the factories we called up or would email would tell us like, hey, sorry, we have minimums like that. Or like, who are you guys? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and would hang up. And then we heard about this factory in Portugal that we really, really um, loved the sound of because they had been making Michael Phelps Olympic swimsuits and they had really cool um, sustainability innovation and like a lot of solar panels and they worked with big name luxury brands as well so we heard about this amazing factory and um, called them up and um, obviously they hung up on us (laughs) Uh, um, I would have and um, we had another Skype call with him and he was like oh maybe and then we just booked a tap Portugal flight to go over and did the only thing that we knew from investment banking which was making an investment banking style pitch deck and we told him hey we may be two girls with finance backgrounds and no fashion experience whatsoever <laughs> but um, here are five slides of like how we think the future of fashion should look like and like you should make those with us and then they accepted us to um, work with him. I find it so fascinating the just putting yourself out there and going, you know what, we have no experience in this industry and you're probably going to hang up with us again, you know, but here we are. How do we gain the courage to, to 
put ourselves out there. Well, I think we were. It, I think actually you're in the best situation when you don't know. Like when you're when you're doing something new and you don't know anything mm-hmm. about it. This is like it's the dream because you can like literally be curious and ask anyone anything and like don't be scared to have stupid questions um so I loved it and Meg loved it and I think like uh, like being just like super humble about it and um tapping into like leaning into the curiosity um is is a really cool opportunity and I think anyone who wants to tackle a market or something they don't know anything about that's awesome because you come at it with such a fresh new perspective and you're going to ask questions that maybe people in the market who who have done this thing forever in fashion for example would have never asked um, and you just like ask how uh, like you kind of um, yeah you you probably have ideas on how do they do things differently that if you were in that industry you wouldn't have fresh perspectives I absolutely love that Oh, Nina, look, we could talk for days. I want to finish, as we come to the close of today's episode, there are a couple of questions I've yet to ask. And first, the first one is, what was one of your greatest failures throughout this journey? Personal? Sure. Um, I'm just coming out of an eight-year relationship. (laughs) Wow. I think um, being an entrepreneur, as rewarding as it is, it is consuming, mm-hmm. 100%. It is fully, fully consuming. And, I, and um, because my better half, as of, um, has also become an entrepreneur, having two entrepreneurs, is a really, it's just, it's just like tough. Mm-hmm. Um I have friends who were um, ex-colleague. She started a company, and she and her husband. They now have two kids. They have this. Both of them. She wants. She wanted to be an entrepreneur, and he as uh, a writer actually. And they had this contract in the beginning where they said, "Okay, we're going to set up our life, and one of us is going to be able to like go after their dreams and like do the entrepreneur thing, whilst the other person is going to get a safe job at like X Y Z, um, which she has done. And then we're going to flip it and." You're going to do whatever your dream is, and I'm going to get a safe job at X, Y, Z. Um, and it's also about this. I think for them, it was like some parts of safety net, but I would say it's also part of, um, yeah, just like making sure that um, that the balance, like, I mean, at least for me, the, the challenge was that the balance was like out of balance as like two people start completely like deep diving into their entrepreneurship rabbit hole. Because it is entrepreneurship is the other funny thing is that, you know, I noticed that time is like time just like compresses mm-hmm. and like all of a sudden you like look around and 12 months have passed. And because um, you're so when you build, you're so hyper focused that like it's it, like all sucks into this black hole. Um, so I think that's like a challenge to work through for me. Obviously, this relationship, the relationship coming out of that, but then also um, just generally um, not necessarily like work-life balance or something, but more so the idea of, because I love, I mean, I love being an entrepreneur and I love what I do every single day. And I love this like um, excitement and the building and, and the creating and all of that. I couldn't couldn't think differently, but finding a way to... Um, to make sure that like time feels feels long and that you like feel every second of it instead of like um, kind of looking around and like a year having passed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always trying to find solutions to that. If anyone has any tips, I know like journaling and writing is, is part of it um, that helps you like extend time and like make it feel longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm definitely looking for more tips. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, I love that. I so appreciate you sharing that with us, Nina. I think so many of us, you know, who are building businesses, I mean, it is, it's all consuming, you know, and as much as we love it, which, you know, I think you almost have to absolutely love it. Otherwise you'll go crazy. You know, as much as we love it, it's, it's also, it is, I think, also learning about how we can be more present and how we can show up every day and actually feel what's happening in that day and not just always thinking ahead or feel like it's going really fast. Yeah, um, totally. Not just rushing. I think um, we use, I hate the word busy. Yeah. Um, I hate, I hate, I hate it. I think this idea of like just keeping oneself busy mm. is um, it's just like really dangerous. And I think the better way to, the better way to do it is obviously we're busy. Everyone's busy. Everyone is for sure busy, but it is more about this presence. Exactly what you're saying. The presence of um of of leaning into leaning into the even the busy moments and mm. just like tackling them with a smile. Mm. Oh, and tackling them with a smile you are Nina. <laughs> It's absolutely amazing to see. I mean, since starting a day five years ago, you've received so many awards, so many, so much recognition. You were named one of the most innovative companies in the world in 2018 by Fast Company. Um, and you've been featured in Vogue, Forbes, Forbes in the 30, Refinery 29, Financial Times, Vogue, Entrepreneur. I could keep going. <laughs> It's absolutely phenomenal phenomenal to see. And yet yourself, you're so humble and upbeat and you really are just kind of showing us that we can chase our dreams, we can reach our goals, but we can still stay humble in the process. So we really appreciate you. Yeah, of course. I think humble is, I think it's the way I view it is that whoever as an entrepreneur or creator or chef or we're all just here to do our art and like do our work and it's not us it's not about me right it's not, <laughs> like Ada is not about me mm. or Meg and this is not about you here. Mm. it's it's about bringing, bringing in art and like making making something bringing something to us humans or the world or the planet that feels nice and feels good and we're just channeling it to be honest <laughs> it's so true I absolutely love that so our final question is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Peers Project, and that is what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I think the value to me is to be um, able to live your every day to not only um, say that you're doing something you feel really, really good about in the moment of doing it, but that you're also um, doing it for um, almost like a greater good of making sure that we're all leaning more into things that make humans happier instead of being machines that just like go from working to food to <laughs> sleeping to accumulating money and then doing the same on repeat. So it's a, almost like a way of freeing ourselves and um, freeing ourselves and bringing, yeah, bringing a world to to um, uh, create, co-creating a world that we think um, is the most beautiful and just and wonderful, sustainable planet and world that we want to live on. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Nina, ladies and gentlemen, so amazing. We've had an absolute ball today. Where can people learn more about you and a day? 
Sure. So it is, um, this is ADA.com. Um, as I said, we ship to Australia, but also US, UK, Canada, Germany, all these places. Instagram as well. Or just type in ADAY. You'll probably find it. Mm-hmm. And then my handle is Nina Faulhaber, most complicated German name ever. <laughs> um, we'll probably write it out. Yeah, we'll, we'll add that to the um, show notes. Yeah, but we'd love to, you know, have you part of the ADA community. I think like, there's a lot of women who believe in um, creating the wardrobe for their own lives and travel and all of that. And then they believe in like investing in sustainability and a much more um, sustainable future. And and I, we'd love to have you guys as part of that community and have you a part of, um, part of um, co-creating that. Mm. I love that. It's, we've had a ball, Anina, this has been so great. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here to see what else we're up to visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on instagram at thepeersproject we'll have fresh real talk for you next week peers until then if you need inspiration look amongst your peers